Speaking of God's word, does anybody love the Bible? Do you love God's word? Can I tell you something? It is, it is still alive and active. It is still, as I prayed a second ago, a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. And if you're new today, whether you're visiting uh, because you came to church with your kids or you came to church with mom, or maybe you were just looking for a church on Mother's Day, you need to know that we are a Bible-believing unfiltered church when it comes to the Word of God. Come on, are you thankful for that? Are you thankful for a church that believes in the potency of the Bible? It is the manual to life. It is timeless for everything that we walk through. And today, uh, the reason why I want to bring that up is because I'm just to give us a little bit of a lens into the Word today, um, actually the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy would write about some days that I believe we're living in right now. I believe this verse was the Holy Spirit inspiring Paul to write to Timothy, but about the generation that you and I would live in. I want to read it for just for a moment, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 to 4. It reads this. Tell me if you've seen this before. It says, For the time is coming, Now I believe, once again, this time is here, when people will not endure. That word endure means to hold themselves against. They won't endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. How many of you have seen this play out with somebody that you know or maybe somebody you, you're friends with on Facebook, right? You know, Facebook shows us where all the people have wandered off to into, into myths. And I believe that there's a time to come back to a passion and the love of God, and that was something that I saw once again modeled at home. I was thankful to be raised by a mom who believed in the power of worship, believed in the power of prayer, but believed in the Bible and getting it inside of us. There's, there's things that come out of me that I don't even think about. It doesn't even process through my mind because my mom and my dad from an early age were spending time not telling us their greatest opinions on life, but always walking us back to what does the word say? Come on, it's time to get the Bible back into our living rooms, into our kitchens, into our dinner tables, back into schools. Come on, how many of you know we need the word of God right now? Does anybody know that? You believe it? And so that's what Paul is writing to in the Timothy. And so I want to shine light on something that I think is a, a word for everybody here. It's not a word just for mom, although mom I know is going to want to grab hold of this word today. Trust me when I get there. But it is uh, it, because for right now, this is what I, I wrote a few things down. For many, more is coming out of our physical and emotional tank than we are putting in. I can't tell you the number of people right now at this time of year in the month of May for some reason that I talk to, and they just talk, if I ask, hey, how are you doing? Now, we, we get the Christianese answer, brother, I'm just blessed and highly favored of the Lord, right? You know, you got those people that they swear they've never had a bad day. We're like, really? Can you tell your face? No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But, you know, the, you can see that life has gotten a bit hectic. It's gotten a bit busy. It's that kind of this crash that wants to try to happen around this time of year. You've come out uh, out of a brand new year. You've now, you feel the, the season change over into summer and school's getting ready to let out and mom's got mixed emotions about what am I gonna do with these children, right? Or maybe dad has that feeling. And it feels right now, there's a lot of us who are exerting more physically and emotionally in output, but we're not having the same level of input. That our tanks are actually on a scary place. We're moving too fast at a pace that our adrenaline can, can, spigots can seldom shut off. We're racing to late night flights or to catch up on work or the chores that need to be done around the house that we just didn't get to earlier in the day. We're adding more early morning meetings and we're stretching ourselves beyond our limits. 
And I believe that there's a time to stretch. We just finished this incredible series on living large around multiplication. How many of you enjoyed that series with Pastor Ashley? It was, it was challenging. We're, we are hardwired to multiply. But at the same time, we've got to find balance into what we're distributing out and make sure that as all of these tanks get lower and lower on our emotional tanks, our mental tanks, and our physical tanks, it's impossible to live in an area where we're stretched beyond limits. It's high adrenaline output depletes our brain's natural tranquilizers and sets us on a stage for high anxiety. And many of us have learned to associate any sort of relaxation with irresponsibility. You have that moment where you sit down just for a second, you take a deep breath, maybe you grab a cup of coffee. Come on, any coffee lovers in here? You sit down, you have that first sip, you take that first breath, and you only get maybe mid-breath in before you realize these are all the things that need to get done. Instantly, your mind be able to go and you've got a full to-do list that you look at every single day, and when you end the day, you go back to your to-do list and you go, surely I got more done than that. Anybody else can relate? And so there might be some rewiring, retooling that I believe we need to go under, a bit of a mind shift, a bit of a rewiring inside of us to get back into what I would call right believing. Because if there's one thing that I think a lot of us find ourselves tripping into is we always try to live the right way, but rather if we can focus on believing the right way, can I tell you something, living right will be a natural byproduct. If we can come into right believing, right understanding about who God is, what his word says, and how he's hardwired us, that's why we're unapologetic about preaching the gospel. I've got a lot of verses today. Our poor uh, Jermaine in the back was like, is the entire Old Testament and New Testament into your sermon today, sir? Right? You know, it's, I've got a lot of verses for you today because I want to point you into the only thing that brings balance. The only thing that, how can I ha- hear this message about, all right, we got to multiply, And it's inspiring, and it's amazing, the revelation, but what you can feel a bit in the room for maybe some of us is we hear about multiplication, we hear about stretching, and we go, I feel like I'm doing everything I can already. I feel like my calendar is already full. I feel like I've already got three chapters of dreams that I'm just hoping to, to see a glimpse of. How can we live large and multiply, but where's the... Where's the balance? Where am I going to get this fuel from? John 8, Jesus talking would say this in John 8, chapter, sorry, verse 31 and 32. You've heard it well. It says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. But then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now notice that truth in and of itself isn't freedom. It's knowing the truth that brings freedom. So that means the level of freedom that I live my life in is directly correlated to the amount of truth I know about who God is. So the more truth I have, the more right believing I have, then the more freedom I walk in, the more that is possible at work within me. And so we've believed in this kind of cultural nuance, if you will, about that we just have to grind, grind, grind. Go, go, go. As, as a, a lady in, my, in my, the church I grew up would say in, uh, is that this, you know, Ryan, the devil never sleeps, so you, you need to be on your time. He ain't sleeping. You in there resting, but the devil don't sleep, and the devil's been busy. You know what I mean? She said, the devil's just been busy in my life. That man just doesn't sleep, right? That, that's what she used to say all the time, Miss Jerlene. She said, the devil's been busy. He just don't sleep. And we feel this incessant panic that begins to come in, and we feel like bad stewards if we try to take any sort of time off. 
We feel like bad stewards if we don't slow ourselves down. And so rather what we've tried to do is do something that I like to say. We try to catch the Holy Spirit on the run. Where we know that we should be spending time in the presence of God. We know that we should be spending time in prayer. We know that we should be spending time in the word. We know that we should just spend time listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. But then everything else in us is saying, you got to go, you got to go, you got to go. There's deadlines. Somebody's out working you. Somebody's out hustling you. Mom, that's not enough. Did you see the mom down the street? She got a Louis Vuitton and she got the Escalade. You know what I mean? Like where are you in the hierarchy? Somebody's always grinding a bit harder, faster than you are. And I've got this incessant cultural thing that's trying to deplete me. And God is sitting here saying, hello. And you're like, I'll catch you on the run. Holy Spirit, would you just come with me? Just right over here, Holy Spirit, if you can. And Holy Spirit, I'm just going to need you today. And I'm thankful that God meets us on the run. But can I tell you something? There is nothing that replaces digging deep, spending time, just you and God. And most of us actually are struggling with our intimacy with God for our ability to refresh and to recharge because we're constantly trying to catch God on the run. It reminds me of several years ago, my son Landon, who's 10, and he's turning 11 this year, which just blows my mind. He's getting ready to go into his last year of elementary school. So pray for me because middle school were the three worst years of my life. And so I'm just praying for the innocence of my child in Jesus' name to remain. And he says all sorts of fun stuff when he comes home. Hey, Dad, what does this mean? Oh, my Lord, who taught you that? Jimmy? Like, let me talk to Jimmy's dad, right? And so we won't make this about Jimmy. His, his real name's not Jimmy, by the way. Some of you are like, okay, Jimmy. All right, so I remember several years ago, my son tried one year, that's all we got him to do, one year at football. Now, I grew up, don't let this physique fool you, I grew up a three-sport athlete. I grew up uh, playing, you didn't have to laugh that hard. I grew up playing football and basketball and baseball all throughout school. Baseball was what I played the longest. It was a sport I hated the most but was the best at. That's God's sense of humor, right? Uh, I wanted to be a great basketball uh, star. I can't dribble to save my life, but I was a pretty lethal shooter in the corner. Hollow at your boy. But anyways, I played football, and so I, as any dad would, trying to raise my children in the way they should go, I turned out all right. I said, son, you're going to play football. My wife goes, yeah, right, this is going to be fun. So he put all these pads on him, and keep in mind, he was at the phase of where, you know, little kids are kind of like puppies. Their heads get big, and their, sm their bodies are small, and then their, bo their bodies get big, and their heads get real small, and you're just waiting for that accordion to figure itself out. Well, he was in that big, what I would call the big head phase, right, where his, his body hadn't caught up to the size of his, his, of his melon, and then you're going to put this massive helmet on him, and he's at football tryouts. And right there, these are, these are kindergartners, right? Now, all he's really been able to do is just a basic, like, toss and catch, just right here. You and dad, catch this, dad catches. Catch this, dad catches. And so they go out, and they have him run these cone drills, and he's just moving with his head, right, because his head's so top-heavy. And then the coach looks at all, like, 30 of these kids, and they go, okay, we want you to run, and then when you get to that line, we want you just to cut in and to catch the ball. I'm like, this is going to be a disaster, right? I'm sitting on the edge just laughing, and I'm just convinced they did this exercise just so the, the coaches could have a little fun, because those coaches were just, bam, just pelting every single kid in the head. None of them could catch, right? They're just like, boom, boom. And I'm like, you haven't taught these kids how to catch standing still. What makes you think they're going to be able to catch on the run? And the truth be told, that's how a lot of us try to refresh, recharge, and find rest in our soul is we haven't learned how to stop and catch it standing still so that it has more potency and have the ability to catch it on the run. Are you with me? And so I want to kind of rewind things just for a moment because whether your life is just accelerated at a pace that you're actually got anxiety because you know you can't keep up. 
Or maybe for you, you're like, you know what? I came into this thing kind of backwards. And I came in through the grind and then I heard about Jesus and all these things that he had for me in this time of refreshing and peace that surpasses understanding and joy that's unspeakable. And I'm just waiting for the peace to catch up and the joy to catch up and the love to catch up and the money to catch up. You know, like I'm trying to catch, I'm just trying to wait for it to catch up. And he's saying, listen, if you won't spend time learning how to be in my presence, learning how to find rest for your soul standing still, it's never going to work on the run. Are you with me this morning? And so that's what I want to talk about because ultimately rest, everybody say rest, rest for the Christian is our promised land. But can I tell you something? Rest is only received through revelation. You actually can't have rest in your soul without a revelation of who Jesus is. This is found by maybe some of you have experienced where you go away on a vacation. Just you and your spouse, because some of y'all know vacation with the kids ain't vacation. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's vacation for them, ain't vacation for mom and dad. You go away on a trip for you and you come back and that trip lasted about 20 minutes of rest in your soul. Before all of a sudden you worried about all the same stuff because the seven days that you're away on that Bahama cruise of work is just stacked up on your desk waiting for you. And you realize that it wasn't a vacation that I needed, although, come on somebody, I'll receive one. But there's a certain rest that my Bible prescribes that Jesus talks about that isn't just found in my ability to recover physically, but it's something that only happens in my soul and my spirit supernaturally. It only comes through revelation. Rest just means God-directed activity because I believe that God has gone ahead of me. He's already supplied everything that I need for today. For the opposite of rest is actually unbelief. Can I tell you something? Everywhere you don't have rest, you don't have belief that God is in control. For the opposite of rest is unbelief. When I'm not at rest, I'm in unbelief. And hoping is not believing. So every place that you feel uneasy, every place that you have unrest, those of you watching online right now, everywhere that you've experienced unrest, can I tell you something? That's just a highlighting sign that's flashing saying you don't trust God here. There's certain things that you don't worry about. But there are certain things that you know you worry about. And so the places where you don't have worry, don't worry. That's the places that you've trusted God. But every place that you have anxiety, fear, worry, unrest, it just means, God, I love you and I believe you, just not that much. Turn to somebody and say, this is good preaching. I'm telling you what. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 11, and there's no way I'm going to get through this message, so I'm just going to give you everything I got. Is that all right? Yeah. All right, Matthew chapter 11, you know this well, Jesus speaking, he writes this, speaking to the disciples, he says this, come, then Jesus said, come to me. Everybody say, come to me. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary. You feel a little weary? That word weary literally means to be exhausted from your own efforts and your own works. So this is weariness, in other words, that you caused. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Now the heavy burdens are what other people have put on you. You carrying something today that you didn't put on you, but maybe the person next to you, no, I'm just kidding, the person next to you didn't put it on you. Somebody like those kids that were in here put it on me. Those heavy burdens is what other people have put on you. He says, come to me, those of you who are weary by your own doing, and those of you who are carrying, carrying, carrying heavy burdens that other people have dumped on you. And he says, and I will give you rest. 
I will give you rest. That means rest is a gift. You can't earn it. But it can only be given to you through revelation from Jesus. Then he says this, take my yoke upon you. Now that word yoke, back then is when the, this older, stronger oxen that would plow, they would hook it up to a younger oxen and that older oxen would set the pace to train the younger one. So when the older one had to move, the younger one had to move. They were always in lockstep. So he says, listen, take my yoke upon you. Why don't you connect yourself, yoke yourself to me. Then he says, take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because, watch this, I am humble and gentle at heart. So he says, listen, let me teach you. I'm humble and gentle at heart. In other words, the first thing I'm gonna go after is your heart. I've gotta get myself into you. And the only way Jesus says that I can do that is if you'll stop, yoke yourself to me and let me dictate how fast or how slow you're moving. For I'm humble and I love this, I'm gentle. And you will find, I love the absolutes in scripture. You're not gonna find any maybe, might be, could be's you're going to find inclusive language that says, you will find rest. It's my promise to you, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden that I give you is light. This is good. This is a promise that Jesus makes. He says, come to me, all of you who are worn out by your own doing, and you're carrying the heaviness of somebody who's dumped on you, and I'm going to give you rest that you can't schedule into your calendar. I'm gonna give you rest of something that can't be provided by any exterior substance or any exterior engagement. It only comes through time with me, but you gotta slow down, yoke yourself, and let me set the pace for what I've given, what I have for you is light. It's not heavy, it's not ill-fitting, for my yoke is easy to bear, my burden I give you is light. That word yoke in the Greek is the word krestos. Crestos, you know what it means? Custom fit. So he says, what I have for you is custom fit to you. I'm not gonna yoke, put a yoke on you that worked for your dad or that worked for your neighbor or that works for your pastor or that works for your friend and watch you try to struggle in the image of somebody else. No, I'll spend time with the tailor while I cut this mold specifically for you that has your doubts in mind, your insecurities in mind, your pride in mind. I've got all that worked out. It is custom made for you, but you need to spend time with me. Come on, let's thank God that he spends that kind of time. He says, it's custom. This, this isn't off the rack. Come on, somebody. We're an off the rack. He says, come and spend time with the tailor. And some of you maybe have run away from God or run away from time with God because you see how it worked out for the generation before you and you go, well, if it looks like that. He says, no, I've got something custom built just for you every bit of weakness and every bit of strength that you have. But I can't put it on you unless you yoke yourself to me. I remember when I was uh, um, 15 years old, getting ready to turn 16, you have that, uh, that wonderful peer pressure we all love to put on our parents where we're like, mom and dad, you know, I'm getting ready to get my license, so where's that car? You know what I mean? Like you start, you start asking. Now I, I have three sisters, we're all quite spread out. I got two older, one younger. And everybody had a vehicle, and we didn't really have a whole lot of money. And so I was just 
hoping and praying and believing. Never talked to God more than a 16-year-old crying out for provision so that I can have a car. And I remember one day I came home and my dad said, have you seen to the, the side of the house? And I was like, no. I thought it was like a joke. Was, that's where the trash cans are, son. You know, that's what I was waiting for. And he said, uh, he said why don't you walk out there? And I walk out there and there, there sat a 1986 Pontiac Bonneville. That thing was a boat on wheels, right? Every time you'd hit a bump, you'd be like, right? You know what I mean? It's just straight up steel. They don't make cars like that. Like I felt bad anytime I hit something because the other thing just like a soda can, but it was built strong. And I figured if I'm going to ride this hoopty, I'm going to hoopty it all the way up. I had hubcap spinners on it. I had two 12-inch subwoofers in the back. Come on, when uh, Lindsay and I started dating when we were 15, and her parents would always know when I was in the neighborhood because you could hear, they're like, Lindsay, your boyfriend's here. I think he's at the red light down the street, though. Like, I was that, that kid. And, um, and uh, in the Bonneville, uh, I had these little, like, uh, bullet um, caps that went on top of the locks. Like, I was just going to go all out. Had a fresh, slick, navy blue, blue paint job. Woo, man. They had my car on the morning announcements in high school all the time. They'd spin the spinners, and they'd be like, coming this week at Kale High School. You know, it was just like, I was famous because of my car. But I remember in this... In my front seat, I had bench seats. You ever been in a car with bench seats? So if the driver needs to get a little close to the steering wheel, all of a sudden you got real close to the dash, you know what I mean? And, or if, you, if the driver had long legs, you couldn't even touch the dash, you know what I mean? And, and that's this kind of image that Jesus is saying. He says, when I go to move in and move close, if you yoke yourself to me, it all moves close. And when it's time for you to retreat just for a moment to, to catch your breath and to go back, if you're yoked to me, when I move, you'll move. He says, yoke yourself, for rest is given, it's not earned, it can only be received by revelation. And this is the hardest part of the gospel to grasp, because we hear faith without works is dead. So you go, man, I gotta work, man, I gotta have faith. But he says, well, yeah, 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 faith grows from time spent with me, because rest isn't necessarily inactivity, it's God-appointed activity. When I spend time away from him, when I'm with him, and I spend time yoked to him, he refuels me, he refreshes my soul, he gives me rest that I can't have anywhere else, and then he says, listen, now I've got grace for the pace that you're going at right now. He says, I can't give you rest until you believe. Because if I were to give you rest in your unbelief, then I have sanctioned your sin. If God gave you rest for your soul without yoking yourself with him, he has given you blessing on a life that he never designed for you. Because God will never give you a life that makes him unnecessary. So there's a rest that only exists not through anything else. You can have all the spa treatments, as glorious as they are. Some of you are like, that's the word of the Lord. <laughs> you can spend time away. You can have a great meal. You can take a few days off of work and your body might feel all right, but there isn't rest for your soul. It can only come through yoking yourself. Are you with me this morning? Hebrews chapter four reads this way in the Amplified, says this, it says, so then there is still awaiting a full and complete Sabbath rest reserved for the true people of God. For he who once entered God's rest also has ceased from the weariness and pain of human labors. Just as God rested from those labors, particularly his own. So let us therefore, watch this, be zealous and exert ourselves 
and strive diligently to enter that rest of God to though, sorry, to know and experience it for ourselves. That no one may fall or perish by the same kind of, look at this, unbelief and disobedience into which those in the wilderness fell. He says, this rest for your soul doesn't mean inactivity, but to get this rest from your soul, you're going to have to be zealous. You're going to have to exert yourself. You're going to have to strive diligently. This sounds like an oxymoron, but the writer of Hebrews is talking about this tension of you're going to have to force yourself because if you leave yourself up to the culture or to your schedule or to whatever else sort of demands on the to-do list, you'll never have this rest. You've got to be diligent. You've got to exert. You've got to strive because anything less is unbelief and disobedience. I've got to labor to enter that rest. Because every day, unbelief is trying to make me anxious. I believe that striving and exerting is the wrestle with our flesh to believe. Because here's what I know about rest and how critical this is. And maybe some of you can, can relate to this in the season of life that you're in now or maybe a season of life previously is that whatever the devil can't throw at you to destroy you, he'll be happy if it just distracts you. Whatever he sends your way in your life, if he can't take you out, he'll be satisfied with distraction. And a lot of us don't have rest in our soul not because, once again, Jesus hasn't provided it for us, not because he hasn't made a mechanism in which for us to receive it, but because we're constantly trying and getting distracted. This is how the devil operates in our life. This is how the demonic, I know we don't like to talk about that anymore at church or whatnot, but I think we need to bring it back a little bit into the conversation or else we're, we have a generation coming behind us who don't know how to fight. Can I tell you something, mom and dad? It is your responsibility to train the next generation how to fight. And so it's okay if they see you at times, when it's appropriate, work out a conflict. They need to see that not everything always is the world's greatest thing. They need to know, you know what? I'm here today because I have a mom who prays, because I have a dad who prays, who doesn't have it all figured out, but they know where to keep going when they run out of their own ideas, and it's the presence of God. We need a generation that knows how to fight. And that's my worry amongst the generation now. Are we discipling and training in our homes? And even in the times when you don't know, one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given was by my mom. At 18 years old, I had this red-hot passion to see my friends get saved. Now, all, all the other years before that, I was working my own salvation out with fear and trembling, right? Making sure I still love Jesus myself. And I finally found this new brooding confidence. I said, the only way I know to get my friends saved is I'm going to invite them all to my house for a Bible study, right? I'm thinking like, yeah, you're going to reach the masses for that. And so I, I went to a, a, a secular school, not a Christian school. So I remember that was right when, uh, right when Facebook was just barely turning. I still had a MySpace page. Come on, somebody. Remember the MySpace top eight, right? If you were mad at somebody, whoop, just take them off the top eight. That's all you had to do. Say no, say no more. And, and so we, all this all social media was just budding. Thankfully, it wasn't alive and grown to what it is now when I was that age. But on that last year, and I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a Facebook post out, and I'm going to text all my friends, and Bible study at my house today. 6 p.m., I got pizza rolls, I got taquitos, I got Dr. Thunder. You remember those days, right? You're just like throwing everything in the, in the oven, baby. And so I'm like, come on. And I had enough food for a football team, I tell you, and four kids showed up. 
and we had a great time. I want you to tell you, I want to tell you, all four of those people are still serving Jesus, okay? And so I was convinced I was going to have 40, but I had four. And I remember I'm sitting at the kitchen counter and I got my notes out and this is what we're going to go through. And I remember for some reason my heart had really gotten gripped by the Ten Commandments. And I'm like, we're going to we're gonna just, we're gonna uncover everybody's secret sin today, right? You know, it's like, you look at somebody lustfully, that's on here, you dead. You know, I'm just kidding. I wasn't gonna go that far, but. So I'm sitting down and I'm just studying, right? And I've got my old fashioned pen and paper out and I'm writing down all these notes and I'm like, mom, just the, the words coming alive and she could see this, this, uh, this hunger and this fierceness that was coming up inside of me. And she goes, hey, Ryan, I just wanna give you a quick piece of advice. Like, okay, mom, I'm, I'm ready. And she said this, she said, resist the urge to feel like you have to have an answer for every question. I said, what, is, what does that mean? And she's like, because what God is starting to do in your life is he's beginning to mark you for leadership, marking you for ministry. And there's this pressure that you're getting ready to feel. When people begin to look at you a certain way, they're going to think, well, this guy's got it all together. He must have all the answers. And I want you to resist the urge to make something up when you don't know. But rather to say, you know what, I don't know, but I'll pray about it with you. And then you make it your mission to find that answer and to show that person how to find the answer as well. And right now, there's a lot of that that comes with us. There's a lot of that where we feel this pressure to know everything all the time. And it distracts us from the presence of God it distracts us from rest. It distracts us from something that only comes through intimacy with him. And the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking, seeking whom he may devour to distract you, to pull you away. That's why Solomon would write in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25, reads this way. It says, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet and stay on that safe path. Don't get sidetracked. And keep your feet from following evil. To stay focused. Because there's distractions that will try to pull you everywhere to keep you from being yoked to Jesus, who prov the only one who provides rest for your soul. Hebrews says you got to strive. you got to be zealous. you got to be diligent in getting into that rest. He comes to this, disrupt our rhythm. You ever had something hit you just blindside you? and it totally throw off the rest of your day or your week? You walked into that day or that week with this plan. You spent time preparing. You spent time praying. You were charged and ready to go. And here comes something that you weren't prepared for, and it tried to derail everything. That's how the devil operates, because if you can't get it to take you out, he's okay if it distracts you. Because the more time you're distracted, the less time you're spent yoked to him. Let's go back, Matthew chapter 11, once again, verses 28 to 30 in the message paraphrase reads this way. It says, are you tired? Are you worn out? <laughs> Look at this. Are you burnt out on religion? In other words, you just trying to make it yourself? This law-based living, he says, no, 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 come to me and get away with me and you'll recover your life. And I'll show you how to take, look at this, a real rest. You've got your idea of rest, he says. I'm gonna show you how to take a real rest. He says, walk with me, work with me, and watch how I do it. Learn the, watch this, unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you, but keep company with me, and you'll learn to live 
freely and lightly. Woo, that's some good word right there. I need to learn to live freely and lightly. But he says, come and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. The unforced rhythm, the pace that I have marked out for you. That's why I love this vision that we're all a part of. Us as a global church, 12 campuses around the globe in Australia here and Indonesia, working our way into Malaysia and South America. And obviously we're getting ready to be in, uh, planning a campus in Franklin, Tennessee with Pastor Mark. I love this vision because the vision is constantly telling us we've got more campuses to plant. We've got more leaders to raise. We've got more souls to see saved. And can I say something? But we have godly leaders who are constantly saying, listen, we've got a vision that we can't, uh, we can't achieve in the natural. And rather than trying to exert ourselves past the level of grace that God has set a pace for this ministry to be on, we have pastors that are constantly humbling themselves every day, saying, God, we've got 188 more campuses to go. And I can try to force this, or I can run at a pace that you have graced in my life. And you've got leaders, you've got pastors, incredible pastors and Pastor Ashley and Jane, who are constantly forcing themselves, striving diligently to slow down, to find rest from their souls, so that we, even as a church, operate at the right pace. The pace that God has graced for us globally as a church, the pace that God has graced for us locally as a campus, and God is saying the same message to you. The to-do list, it's always growing. The expectations of others, they'll always be there. But you have to strive, be zealous, and getting into time with me to yoke yourself to me because there's a pace that I have graced. Are you with me this morning? Because rest in our soul produces freedom. Rest is the sign of faith. I'm either in rest or I'm in unbelief. And Anderson, you can come. I'm going to finish in just a second. If you aren't living from rest, you're living from unbelief. If you aren't living from supply, you're living from demand. If you aren't living from grace, you're living from stress. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary by your own efforts, you're carrying heavy burdens by what others have thrown on you. He says, then come and I'll give you a real rest, a rest from your soul, for your soul. I'll finish with this. Let me show you how God and his foreknowledge stands outside of time. All the way in the book of Genesis, all the way in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, how he's hardwired our dependence on him. And he's hardwired, not just our dependence on him, but for us to spend time at rest. Because in Genesis 1, it walks us through, we've read it before, it walks us, walks us through the, the excuse me, process of creation. Man is created on the sixth day, the last thing that God's created, so that he would know that everything was created for him and he didn't have to create anything else. And man, Adam's first day, was on the day of rest, day seven. Because oftentimes we've tried to regulate rest to a day of the week. But did you realize when you read through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus did most of his miracles actually on the Sabbath? Why? He did it to smash the religious narrative. 
that rest isn't a day of the week, although you should take one. But rest for your soul is a person and his name is Jesus. If Jesus is at rest, then so should I. And he only does what he sees the Father doing. And so all throughout creation, you'll read day number one, day number two, day number three, all the way through day number six. And this is how every creation day ends. It was evening, then it was morning, marking the first day. It was evening, then it was morning, marking the second day. Evening, it was morning, and the third, and the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth. But then read what it says about the seventh day. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. It says, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day, this is man's first day, on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all the work of creation. Now watch this. And every other step, this is where it would say, it was evening, then it was morning. But he says this, for this is the account of creation of the heavens and the earth. Genesis never records at the end of the seventh day, it was evening, then it was morning, marking the seventh day. Now, most theologians have spent literally hundreds of years trying to decipher what this text is, and most of them have drawn the same conclusion. That rest that God has for us was never meant to be lived in a day, but that we were supposed to live every day in that seventh day rest. He never brought some sort of completion to that day, but rather it was to be lived in every day. So he says, come to me. So yes, do you need to take at least a day, a full day to cease from labor? to spend time with your family, to get away, to refresh and recharge physically, 100%. But can I tell you something, friend? You're in a dangerous place if the only place that you try to find rest for your soul is in 90 minutes in a church service on a Sunday. But it is a daily yoking yourself to him so that you've got grace for the pace of that day and so that you have rest for your soul. He's got everything that you need for today. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. But he says, but today, if you'll yoke yourself to me, I am humble, I am gentle, and I'll give you rest for your soul. But it can't be regulated to 90 minutes, and it can't be regulated to a day of the week. Although you need to come to church, and you need to spend the day ceasing from work. But this isn't about taking another day off. And this isn't trying to get our church attendance numbers to go up. This is about the health of your soul, the health of your family, the health of your business. And this time where you're feeling weary and worn out for the rat race that's ahead of you. He says, come away with me. Spend time with me. So three things that I don't have time to unpack, but I'm gonna give them to you anyways. One, don't ignore the call to rest. The call to retreat with him. Two, when you rest and you pray and you seek the face of God, it gives us faith. You need to then step into the faith realm. That's what I love about our pastors, constantly encouraging us to fuel our faith. And lastly, you need to make every effort. You need to make every effort to get into those times, to yoke yourself to him. Stop getting hit in the head with that football because you're just trying to catch rest on the run.
You'll never learn how to rest on the run until you've learned how to rest standing still with him. Can I pray for you? There's two things I wanna do. I wanna pray that this word just goes down and grafts itself into your heart, into your mind. So mom's in the room, you tell, you tell dad or you tell whomever, you got the kids. Pastor said, I need to take a rest. You got just prescribed from the platform today. Take a rest, mom. Take a nap. Spend time, lock yourself in the room. Whatever you wanna do, get a big bag of chocolate, watch all your TV shows. Put your feet up, girl, go ahead. But I wanna pray that this word gets down in your soul, in your heart. And then I wanna give an invitation. But let's just pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We ask for it to engraft itself into our heart. Today, God, we're thankful for your word. It's a lamp into our feet, a light into our past. And God, we today surrender ourselves to you. God, we're sorry for getting things out of alignment. We're sorry for striving for the wrong things. God, yes, you've got multiplication. There's time we're stretching our capacity. There's more things, but we'll never be able to do the exceedingly and abundantly more if we don't have this time to refresh and to recharge and to rest. God, we choose to yoke ourselves to you so we can experience rest on a deeper level. It's rest for our souls. We're thankful for time away. We're thankful for moments of rest, but God, you've called us to live in this seventh day rest for our souls. It gives us energy to keep going. It gives us energy to keep loving, to keep serving. And God, I just pray that this word would engraft itself into your people's hearts today.